It is indeed a blessing to be able to assemble in the peacefulness and the blessing of a Sunday morning in the way that we are. And surely it would be entirely appropriate to say that with great upheavals in our world these days, sometimes routines of individuals' lives are changed rather, rather dramatically. And it, isn't it wonderful to have an anchor to which we can, in fact, be attached to something unmovable, something unchangeable, something that remains easily constant through the fancies and the changes of days and times. It's good to see this number out with us today, to be sure, and we're certainly thankful for those who has, whose health has been so challenged and yet are back with us. Certainly mindful of Sister Carol Vincent, able to be back with us today after such a, a tremendous struggle for the last couple of months. As I prepared this lesson or made some choice of delivering this one, it occurred to me that it maybe would be wise in light of the announcement that Cale made as well as what was asserted last Sunday to bring before ourselves the understanding of eldership as the Bible puts it before us after all, we are currently in consideration. Brother Dennis Lowe's name has been put before us to, to join our eldership, to become an elder of this congregation. And we're certainly thankful for him, thankful for Eddie and Gary. But as you give thought to what the Bible has to say about the eldership, let's devote a few moments today to reminding ourselves about the position these men occupy, or Brother Lowe, uh, Brother Dennis's case, certainly perhaps very soon, and as we do that, we'll each be strengthened as we give thought to the nature of the Word of God. This next slide is one that reminds us of some basic truths and will put us on course for the remainder of the lesson this morning. The organization that you and I call the church is certainly a sweet and blessed organization. After all, human hands never touched it. The God of heaven made determination of its government made determination of its character, and that in fact happened long before the human family even came on the scene. In Ephesians 3 verses 10 and 11 we read, "...according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord." And that was prefaced by that statement that related in verse number 10, "...to the nature of the eternity considered in the church." Today, you and I are simply blessed to be a part of that glorious institution. In verse 27 of Ephesians 5, it is there said that it has neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. It has no blemishes in the design that was imprinted upon it. It was perfect. Now, to be sure, you and I, as those that comprise it, we have our faults and we have our errors in judgment but in the design of it, it's an absolutely perfect organization. No wonder in that light about the middle of this slide, it would be entirely possible to have a lengthy series of lessons on the particulars of the eldership. Today, our lesson will be much briefer than that. What about the duties that God has charged the elders to have? What are they supposed to do? That's a good reminder for all of us. After all, deacons are not the same as elders. Elders are not the same as deacons. Neither is the same as the evangelist or the preacher, if you, if you will. So what does God wish elders to do? Well, let's look at today at some things that the New Testament has to describe about the work that they do and how that we might appreciate that work. With that said, let's come to the first word, the first consideration. I chose to build the lesson 
primarily around words that the New Testament uses to describe the work of an elder. May I say that again? There are certain words that the Holy Spirit chose to use to describe the work that these men do. And as we look at that word that the Holy Spirit used, we will thus cast a spotlight upon the nature of the work which they are to do. The first one comes as we look at Acts 20, verse number 17. If you'd be turning to that location... And while you're doing that, may I share a bit about the overall background of it so that as we come to it, we'll be ready to look intently at the word that was used. Paul, of course, had labored in the city of Ephesus for quite some period of time as detailed in the previous chapter. And yet at that time, he left and went to labor elsewhere. But as we arrive at chapter 20, Specifically, verse number 17, the following statement occurs. And from Miletus, he, that he is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. You could picture the scene. The city of Miletus was some distance from Ephesus. And as Paul was making his way to the city of Jerusalem, he stopped off at Miletus. But you'll notice he didn't call for the whole Ephesian church to come to meet with him. He only called for their elders. Now, we don't know how many there were, but he called for these men to travel from Ephesus to where he was at Miletus, and he wanted to have a meeting with them, a discussion with them. He wanted to charge them. May I again read verse 17? And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus... So back long before they had internet or even a telephone, he sent by way of dispatch to the city of Ephesus and said, You elders of the church in Ephesus, come meet with me at Miletus. And it says he called the elders of the church. The word elders that occurs in our King James Bible is a word, as you can see on that slide, is presbyteros. Now, you and I don't need to know a great deal about that Greek word, but we need to know what it means. That word literally means leader. In other words, in that Ephesian congregation, there were men recognized as her leaders, those who had the position of leadership, those who occupied this position such that they could thus come to Miletus, meet with Paul, and they would be responsible for sharing that information, and leading that congregation in the way that God would have them to go. That particular word I would ask you to notice is that same word that occurs in a number of other contexts in the New Testament, referring to men who serve as leaders. We each know what it means to lead. When there's a group of people and there is a person who is the leader of that group, it's that person who exhibits the vision who determines the course of action that the group is going to follow, that determines the overall tenor, if you please, of the motion, the approaches, the overall character of where that group is going. In other words, it was the will of God that there be men who would thus serve in a capacity like this over a local congregation, and they would in essence be those out front leading the way determining the course that that congregation would follow, where they are now in light of where they're wanting to go. They're the leaders. It's easy to imagine, and you and I probably have experienced it, 
But if there's a group of people, perhaps they have some understanding of a charger mission, but there's no leadership in almost all cases. It will degenerate to a point of unsuccessful activity, infighting, if you please, and quite often the mission is nowhere near accomplished. It was God's will that there be men, these leaders. The New Testament calls them elders. For that reason, you may notice on the slide, all throughout the book of God haven't we at least seen the nature of leadership amongst the people of God, even in the Old Testament era. The children of Israel were shortly to come out of Egyptian bondage. But isn't it true that God had hand-selected a man named Moses and his right-hand person, if you please, a man named Aaron, to lead that group, to be those who would occupy a position to determine the course of action that they were going to follow. At least in principle, something like that, of course, is still true as it relates to the eldership of our day. One last thing on that slide. You can now appreciate then that these leaders are such that their qualifications that they are expected to meet. You just can't appoint any man to be an elder. But 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 makes a listing of a number of particular qualifications that those men are to occupy. And as Brother Gary mentioned last Sunday, we've been asked to look with care at that list and make comparison of the lives of Brother Dennis to the nature of what's being described. But I would go even further to say this, that not only does the man have qualifications that he must meet to be an elder, his family does as well. His wife, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and following, makes several statements about what the wife of the elder is supposed to be like. And so one more time, we notice, furthermore, the children of such a man should occupy an understanding that they too are to be considered because they're to be faithful. And not only that, they should thus not offer to those that would look with scorn an opportunity to call into question the character and tenor of that man. Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 7 tells us, Maybe it is in that light we can close that slide like this. These elders thus that lead the congregation, clearly they lead in the aspect of the authority that God has given them, but they are not given the authority to impress their opinions above the verdict and the will of heaven. Would you read with me as I look at 1 Peter chapter 5 where this same description occurs like this. Verse number 3 puts it in this language. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse number 3. Speaking about elders, it says, "...neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock." That man that serves in the leadership position as an elder, he should be an example in terms of behavior and devotion to the things of God. But it does say he is not to be lords over God's heritage. He is not impressing his opinion on anybody. He is using the Word of God to lead and to guide and to instruct. As we close that slide, what else does the Word of God say about elders? So they lead, but what else might be noted? This next slide 
goes forward to verse number 28 of the same chapter. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Once those elders had come from the Ephesian congregation and were meeting with Paul at Miletus, this is what Paul said to them. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Among the words that the Holy Spirit thus used, and those which have been recorded for us, is a word that occurs about the middle of that verse. You may notice overseers. The literal Greek word is episkopos. Episkopos. Now you'll notice that's different than that word we saw a moment ago. We had noticed back in verse number 17 the word presbyteros. This one's clearly different as far as what it means. It literally means overseer, as the King James so aptly puts it. In other words, this gentleman has the oversight. He really is its leader. He really is among that group that have been charged and challenged to present the leadership necessary for that flock of the people of God. As we develop that thought a little more carefully, there is other places in which that same word is translated as the word bishop. You might want to put that in mind. Isn't it rather sad that our current denominational and ecclesiastical religious world has hijacked the word bishop? And he's using it in a lot of different ways. But in the New Testament, a bishop is an elder. And you and I, again, can appreciate the simplicity of that development. Elders have the oversight. We here at the Pippin congregation, as well as other congregations who are blessed to have elders, are such that these men have thus been put into position of oversight. It might well be that oversight leads us to pause to note this. Every single reference within the New Testament asserts a plurality of these men. It is not scriptural to have one elder. There must be at least two. Don't you find it remarkable that as Paul addressed the church at Philippi in Philippians 1 verse 1, this statement he made. Notice again, the church in Philippi, what did they have? It's the closing part of that phrase that will occupy our attention, but let me read the entirety of the verse. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. There's our word bishops. Elders are being referenced. That congregation was blessed with elders. And as Paul addressed the letter we call Philippians to them, he specifically made mention of both the deacons and the elders. One last thing on that slide. I would say it's at this point we can join our discussion with one concept from the earlier slide. Those that lorded over God's heritage and how wrong that was then. We've just now learned then that these overseers are not to be numbered as just one. In 3 John verse number 9, we have a record of a man in the first century who seemingly was in a position like this and how wrong it was in its description. May I call to your attention that man called Diotrephes. 3 John verse number 9. It says, I wrote unto the church. John says, I penned a letter to the church. 
But the verse goes on to say this, But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Here was a man in the congregation there to which John writing, and John says, I wrote a letter, but yet Diotrephes had no interest in it. He didn't even receive us. Do you notice? Here's a man who was elevating himself over God's heritage, trying to run the things beyond what would have been consistent with God's revelation. The next verse would go on to say, I'll deal with him when I come. Now, we aren't told what John had to deal with him when John came, but one would have to believe that unless Diotrephes repented, that was not a pleasant meeting. As you and I close this slide, we've learned elders are those who lead and those who oversee. Let's see what else elders do. The third word that we'll encounter in our study of the New Testament and its description of these men takes us back to the same verse, verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. You might want to pause a moment and notice. Isn't it interesting that in this case, what word was used to describe the church at Ephesus? They were called a flock. Do you and I think of ourselves as a flock? Do we often mentally imagine ourselves as constituting a flock? We may think of a flock of sheep or a flock of goats or maybe even certain other animals. And yet, that word was used here in light of that church at Ephesus. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. You'll notice the church and the flock in that case were one and the same. As we develop that point, let's go ahead and notice the word that occurs and what it signifies. The word is poimano. Now again, what to us is more useful is what does that word mean? It literally means shepherd. One of the work of the, of, of the elders, which we mustn't allow to go unappreciated, they are shepherds. They are shepherds. The image alone is very telling, isn't it? When there is a person who, for instance, has a flock of sheep, as the shepherd to that flock, that shepherds are responsible for providing for that flock the things they need. Specifically, pasturage, water, and safety. Three things bubble to the surface. They are certainly in position to need to supply the necessary grass and other pasturage for, the, for those animals. In the ancient era, as you and I have often thought about David, when he was again the flock over his father's sheep, David in fact himself would strongly strive to provide the necessary pasturage for them. No wonder he could so eloquently say this in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd provides the necessary pasturage, the things for which that flock needs to eat on. But you'll notice he goes on to say, Beside the still water, Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3, that shepherd also had to provide the necessary water, access to water for the sheep. But maybe one final thing to notice, the shepherd provided safety. 
that shepherd, you see, would position himself in such a way that he was able, perhaps from a high position of a little knob or a little hillside, he could see enemies like wolves or other kinds of animals that might wreak havoc upon the sheep. And he thus would make sure to protect them. It's that very thing Jesus mentioned in John chapter 10 when He said, I'm the good shepherd. I watch over my sheep. And did He not say that the shepherd will give His life for the sheep? Now the Lord gave His life for you and I as His sheep. But isn't it interesting that there He made note that that was understood as a part of what a shepherd did. He provided food and water and safety. On that slide, let's note this. How does that apply to an elder? How does an elder provide food? We understand this doesn't mean elders are supposed to pay our grocery bills. That's not the kind of food that is their primary concern. They are concerned about our physical well-being, to be sure, but their primary concern is our spiritual well-being. An elder, then, should be very intent on ensuring that to the flock is provided spiritual nourishment. Spiritual manna, the things necessary for the growth and development of the spirit of man. Did you notice in that light it says, Feed the church of God, Acts 20, 28. So elders are responsible for ensuring that we have a steady diet of spiritually nourishing things to enhance our soul's development so that we'll be right with God. They take that charge very seriously, and well, they should. You'll notice that statement of to tend, to pasture, to feed. Some translations use that very set of words in the very verse we're reading. Earlier today, we looked at 1 Peter 5. Look back to verse 2 of that chapter. And notice the statement that there again is made concerning elders. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, "...the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed." The next five words are these, "...feed the flock of God." So those elders are then given a particular superintending charge, "...feed the flock of God." No wonder an elder will then take very seriously to ensure the quality of Bible classes and sermons delivered are those that come from the Word of God. Human opinion won't save anybody. The latest articles in the Wall Street Journal, if you please, they won't save anybody. But what the Word of God will do is this. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Thus they will ensure that the Word of God is highlighted and emphasized. But not only that, we mentioned earlier the importance of safety. Elders are going to take very seriously the safety and well-being spiritually of their flock because they are well aware that there are false teachings that are present and there are those who would really destroy the flock. I stopped reading a moment ago in verse 28, but I'd like to continue now. We've highlighted verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. Look at how the next verses read. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, 
over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. That's the church, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Let's pause again for just a moment. To those elders, Paul said, Gentlemen, I know what's going to happen. After I'm gone, there are going to be grievous wolves that are going to come in among that flock, and they're going to wreak havoc. They're going to seek to bring about that which is not pleasing to God. They're going to seek ultimately to destroy that flock. Now, they may not say it that way, but they're going to bring in ideas, perspectives, particular ways of matters of discussion, and those souls that are weak are going to be irreparably damaged. And those that aren't anchored to the Word of God are going to, in fact, be troubled greatly. To those elders, then, Paul said, Verse number 32, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. An elder has to be given to that book. In the decisions they make, the perspectives that they present, the safety that they set forth, because they are thus serving the chief shepherd. It's no wonder then as you and I come to the close of that slide, their concern is the spiritual, primarily the spiritual welfare of their flock. Don't you find it interesting that in the very first instance of any deacons in Acts chapter 6, we have that interesting reference. There were some widows being neglected in the daily ministration. And what did the apostles do? The apostles said, Look out among you seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of appropriate report. We'll apport them over that business while we give ourselves to prayer and to daily commitment to the Word. The elders, you see, said here is a particular physical task, and it is important, but others can do that. Our concern is the spiritual welfare of our flock, and we're going to give ourselves to fasting and prayer and the development of the Word. Today, we appreciate that pattern in continuance as it relates to elders as well. So, lead, oversee, shepherd. This slide continues that consideration of the shepherd because it is one that's rich in its presentation so often in the Word of God. In Ezekiel 34, God makes a rather strong statement through the prophet Ezekiel to the shepherds of that day because they had not done in leadership what God expected of them. And so many an elder has reflected upon the principle of that idea today as a rather promising and powerful warning. And so elders take very seriously their role as a shepherd to safeguard the well-being of that flock. One last thing on that slide is the word pastor. It is a rather sad thing how often someone will call me a pastor. I am not a pastor. A pastor is an elder 
may we all embed that in our thinking. A pastor is a shepherd. And I know that our current denominational world has hijacked that term and applied it to the preacher, but that's not biblical. We read in Ephesians 4 verses 11 and following how that the elders of the pastors, they are the shepherds. It's not the preacher. Now certainly the preacher should work in tandem with his elders, but the elders are the pastors. As you and I close that slide, how blessed a congregation is to have a group of men who take seriously their position as overseer, their position as leader, their position as shepherd, and their position as the fourth one that we will encounter as well. Let's look at what else an elder is thus charged to be. Among the language that we've already seen, we've highlighted that an elder safeguards his flock. He shepherds it because he doesn't want it to be damaged. He doesn't want false teachers or others to wreak havoc among it. In that light, did you notice one of the qualifications of an elder is apt to teach? He must be ready, sufficient knowledge of the Word of God so that he can teach others about the sweetness of that to which he's committed and that which he knows will in fact be right for that person. The Word of God is the standard. And therefore, you'll notice as Paul spoke to those elders, he insisted that among that flock at Ephesus that they put in place the practices that they had already been charged with. Note again verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, so you've got to apply it, and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. These men thus who teach, that's exactly the very thing that was listed among their qualifications in Titus chapter 1 verse 9. Allow me to refer to that passage as we appreciate the sentence that Paul put within it. Titus chapter 1, it says, speaking of elders, "...holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to, con to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision." Paul thus admonished Titus that those elders, they've got to be apt and ready and given to teaching these truths of God. And so we certainly are thankful for men who not only take seriously that charge to teach, but insist that the teaching that's done is in fact that which opposes those gainsayers. And so on that slide, we read a number of verses that just echo that thought. I've included among that list that text in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. The things that thou hast heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Certainly that idea would include the elders. As the truths they've heard, they are delighted to share those truths and to urge that congregation the way that it ought to go. Therefore, as you close that slide with me, one of the things the elders keep in mind is those false teachers that seemingly are, are so often so dangerous. Wasn't it the same John who said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. 1 John 4 verse 1. 
These four verbs that we've looked at so far bring us to close our lesson with only one brief consideration remaining. So what then would be our duties to our elders? That is to say, if there are men who occupy these positions that we've stated today, the position of leader, overseer, the position of shepherd and teacher, then what about all of us who are not in that position? How do we react to them? May I say very briefly, 1 Thessalonians 5.12 makes the demand that we know them. May we appreciate the work they do. May we have an understanding that there is a solemn responsibility resting upon their shoulders. And may we never ever behave ourselves in a way to make their life more difficult. May I say that again? May we never conduct ourselves in a way that adds additional burdens to their position as leader. I say it that way because that's how it's put in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17. Let me read that one and reflect upon that obligation that I've just discussed. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. If they have to give an answer on the day of judgment, and you and I have caused trouble to them, we've stirred things up, he says that's not going to go well for us at the day of judgment. So you'll notice among that verse, we need to submit to them. They are the leaders. Once they, by prayer and decision, have chosen a course of action with its consistency to the Word of God, it's our obligation to follow their lead, to encourage and lift up their hands in the work that they're attempting to put in place. That means as we submit to them, we respect them. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 19 says, An elder who does his job well is worthy of double honor. Thus, as we respect and submit to them, that slide closes with a very strong word. The word that I just read is the word I put on the slide, obey them. We expect children to obey their parents, Ephesians 6, 1. But that same word is used here. We're to obey them. May I ask then, as we reflect on the duties of the eldership, that the Word of God has had much to say about it, and it should be a great blessing to us to know that God does all things well. As we close this lesson this morning, in this statement of conclusion, we've just tried to highlight a few things the Bible has to say about the elder. He is a shepherd. He's an overseer. He's a leader. He's a teacher. And we have obligations to Him as He fulfills that role and as He strives to lead the people of God, that flock, in a way that would please the God of heaven. We're thankful for good, godly men that serve as elders. And as you and I give consideration to that position of the eldership, may we again always conduct ourselves in a way to make their life as easy, reasonably so, as possible. Today, as you and I analyze our own lives, may we then respect their position, and may we respect always the church of God and understand what a blessing it is to be a part of it. Today, if there's someone in this grouping, this assembly that's not a faithful member of the body of Christ, 
please don't leave this building in your current condition. If you've never obeyed the gospel initially, what are you waiting for? Jesus shed His blood on the cross approximately 20 centuries ago. And in that blood, you can be cleansed from sin. But apart from contact with it, you're lost. We'd be delighted to assist you today in your response to the gospel's call of invitation. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have known that kind of life, but at this point you've walked away from it, you have allowed yourself to move in directions that are not pleasing to the Lord Jesus, why don't you come back today to your first love? Ephesians chapter 2 highlights that church in Ephesus. They had departed from their first love, but they were urged to repent. You could do the same thing. You could rush down this aisle today if that would be the appropriate thing, and we'd be delighted to make note of your repentance and confession, and we'd pray to God on your behalf. If we could be of any help today in those ways or even others, we would urge you to let us know the way we can assist you and do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.